Well, brethren, we know that prayer requires a great deal of diligence and fervency and energy, but it also requires us to remove hindrances that may exist in our lives. And one of those hindrances that I'd like to address today, again, is unforgiveness. And this is sort of part two to a devotional that we did a month ago. The fact is, uh, let me just ask you, um, all of us experience hurts and pains and offenses, don't we, that, that come from others, sometimes out of the blue, sometimes uh, ongoing in difficult relationships. And these hurts and pains must be dealt with or else they begin to manifest themselves in bitterness in our lives. Over the years, um, my wife Linda and I have experienced three major offenses against us that deeply hurt us. We, in each case, purposed to forgive, but over time we found there was a cloud hanging over those relationships. And we wondered if somehow the problem was us in our lack of a complete forgiveness. And uh, the hurt and pain continued in some ways. So we began to look at the scriptures very pointedly uh, three years ago on this subject. And the principles of forgiveness, we realized, are very clear, but often very difficult to implement. Especially when the offender does not repent. So our purpose today is to try to remove that difficulty as we deal with forgiveness in our lives. Again, the principles are clear. Colossians 3.13 tells us, forgiving one another even as Christ forgave you. And Matthew 6.12 in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord tells us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So in this first principle, we realize that forgiveness horizontally in human relationships is a parallel in many ways with God's vertical agape love for us and forgiveness for us. It is unilateral. It is unmerited. It is unconditional. Biblical forgiveness really does not depend on the other person. Our first response when someone has offended us is to realize that we have a one-way duty from us to them to forgive immediately and unilaterally, regardless of their attitudes or actions. And we commit ourselves not to try to get even or to hold the offense against them over time. But then we realize that this is not enough, don't we? The hurt and pain has to be dealt with somehow. And we realize there's a second stage of forgiveness. And what is that? It is this whole idea of reconciliation and restoration in the relationship. Here, Matthew 18, 15 is our guide. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And that's the whole purpose then, isn't it, in 
going to them, sharing the hurt that we've experienced and perhaps the sin we believe they've committed and encouraging them to repent. When the scripture says, if he shall hear thee, it means if he repents. And here is often the heart of the matter. A cloud often remains hanging over us when the offender does not repent. And there is a push in Christian circles, isn't there, to restore fellowship. It's, it's for some a mark of forgiveness to restore the relationship itself. So we try to let love reign and we try to pretend it never happened uh, and go on in the relationship, thinking that's part of a complete biblical forgiveness. But in the Bible, there is restoration back to true fellowship only when the offender repents. We see this in Joseph's restored relationship with his brothers. He went to great lengths to be sure that they had repented. We see it in the prodigal's father, likewise, in Luke 15. And we believe Philemon forgave his runaway slave Onesimus when Onesimus demonstrated repentance when he returned to Philemon to face the charges against him. So it is first the offender's repentance, then reconciliation. Now let us note that when the offender does not repent, he may often claim repentance. He'll say things like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you're hurt. Um, he will uh, leave us hanging and giving lip service only to repentance. We see this in King Saul's murderous plot uh, against David. Even uh, Saul saying, I'm sorry to David on several occasions and yet continuing in his efforts to bring harm. So our God-given sense of justice recoils against forgiving when they don't genuinely repent. It seems so unfair, so unjust. They may go about their lives happily, feeling scot-free, maybe even thinking they've done nothing wrong. And here we are, bearing the hurt and pain, with no end in sight, seemingly. It truly seems unfair. And it makes it so difficult to avoid bitterness, even when we purpose to forgive in our hearts. So what do we do with the hurt and pain when the offender does not repent? And I think perhaps all of us have experienced this in one way or another. This is when we need to turn to the promises of God. And one of the great promises is Romans 12, 19. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. That is, leave it to God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God is the one who ensures that a just penalty is paid by the offender. So let us realize, if they are a believer, the penalty for his sin against us 
was fully paid for by Jesus Christ at the cross. <coughs> Excuse me. It was paid for completely and for all time. And if they are an unbeliever, again, his offense will be paid for in God's justice at the last judgment and in eternal hell. The offense is paid for either at the cross or in hell, and brethren, we cannot add to either one. So we can walk in forgiveness, knowing that a just penalty for the sin against us either has been or will be paid for. It leaves us free to love the offender and to seek God's best for them. In fact, this is what happened uh, for Linda and me. We began this road of uh, realizing that even when they had not repented, the hurt and pain has all been dealt with at the cross or again at the last judgment. And we are left free to forgive, free to love them unilaterally with Christ's love. Now, I have to add one caveat before we're done, and that is, what if the offender is a member of our own family? We have two competing principles, not competing, but seemingly pointing in different directions. One is the fifth commandment, among many other scriptures, that tells us to honor father and mother, and by extension, a unique love in family relationships. And then Matthew 18, that tells us when there's no repentance to break relationship, to love them, to seek their best, which begins with repenting from sin and then coming to restoration. But we have to realize Matthew 18 is given in a church context. And in fact, that, that makes us uh, realize, I hope, anew a and afresh the tremendous importance of the local church. Because when there's been an offense in a family without repentance, we need godly counsel. It's not clear the way forward. And that's when the Lord has raised up our local church, our local pastors. We need to go and get uh, counsel that where they can understand and take the time with us to understand the nuances and help us uh, receive counsel particular for our particular situation. So brethren, let us walk in forgiveness, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. And let us enter into this prayer time free, free from hindrances and free to praise and worship our God. Amen.